Uh, this morning I'm going to be uh, speaking about the word repentance uh, and what the Bible teaches about it. Uh, now there's no doubt from uh, Adam on, uh, all men have had to repent in order to have a right relationship with God. The importance of repentance is demonstrated by the fact that men of every biblical age preached it. Uh, John the Baptist uh, when he said, repent ye and believe the gospel in Mark 1.15. Paul in Acts 20.21, 20, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John in Revelation 2.5, when he exhorted the church at Ephesus, he says, repent ye and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. And the Lord Jesus Christ emphasized it, its importance when he said in Luke 13:3, except ye repent, you shall likewise perish. Now the problem is not preaching repentance, it's giving a wrong definition to the word. And down through the centuries, repent has come to mean a far different thing than when it was spoken by John the Baptist and the apostles John and Paul and, and Jesus Christ himself. If you look up repent uh, in a modern-day dictionary, you find uh, definitions such as to feel sorry for or self-reproachful, to be conscience-stricken to turn from sin. And now using these definitions, some have preached reformation instead of repentance. If you look at the Greek word translated repent, in New King James Bible and used by John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, John, and others in the New Testament, you will find the word metaneo, which means to think differently or afterwards. That is, to change the mind. Now, in this message, uh, I want to discuss three things. First, faulty ideas about repentance. Second, facts about repentance. And third, faith in repentance. Now, I suppose there are many faulty ideas about repentance. The most popular idea is that repentance is turning from sin. How many times have you heard well-known preachers say, repent of your sins, turn from your sins? If turning from your sins means to stop sinning, then people can only be saved if they stop sinning. And if that's the case, it's unlikely that anyone has ever been saved, since we don't know of anyone who's ever stopped sinning. Now, this past week, I want you to do raise your hands if you haven't sinned once. Good, I got I, I got one for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, I I just don't know of uh, a single person who lives a single day uh, without sinning. Uh, now to be sure uh, that you may not commit murder. You may not commit adultery. You may not rob a bank. 
but you sin nonetheless. Romans 14.23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And simply put, if we do anything without a conviction of God's uh, approval, it's sinful. And I suppose everybody's guilty every day of his life for that. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I read of a, an old preacher who used to pray, oh, Lord, forgive us the sins of omission as well as the sins of commission. There is a sin of omission. The Bible says to leave undone something we know to be good, and who hasn't sinned in that aspect? The book of 1 John is written to believers. 1 John one ten, we all know it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The pronoun we refers to Christian believers. For a Christian to claim that he's not sinned is to make God a liar. You ever hear a preacher say, quit your sinning and God will give you a new heart? That's presenting uh, repentance as turning from sin. And such teaching only frustrates the unbeliever. And he makes him think that salvation is unattainable since he cannot live a sinless life. I have personal experience with this, sharing the gospel with my oldest brother. He just feels it's unattainable. I can't do it. I can't live it. He's right. That's why God sent his son. Because we couldn't do it. Now, some might say, I've repented from my sins. I've turned from them. The question to ask here is, have I sinned ever after I was saved? And to be honest, you'd have to say yes. And if I say yes, then I have not turned from my sins. I've only turned away from part of them. So if repentance means turning from sin, and turning from sin means to stop sinning, then a person must live a sinless life in order to be saved. And if that's the case, then nobody could ever be saved because there's no perfect people. You don't get better to get saved. You get saved to get better. You can't get better until you get saved. And in reality... One can only begin living better only after he's saved. When an individual trusts Christ as Savior, he receives a new nature. Second Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. When the new nature, with the new nature comes new desires and new power to make those desires a reality. Philippians 2.13 For it is God that worketh in you, both the will and do his good pleasure. It's the presence of God in the believer that gives him both the desire and the power to live a better life. And no man has the indwelling Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit 
until after he's saved. The Christian life is not an imitation of the Christ life. It's Christ living his life over again in us as we yield ourselves to him. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lived in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I read a story of a a Baptist evangelist preaching a Sunday message. He has a a family that comes in, and so you know he gives the message, and so this man's wife, along with his five children, ended up trusting Christ that morning. And so you know when they got up, you know the people in in the church were you know coming up and congratulating them and shaking hands and getting to know them. But this uh, Baptist uh, preacher, uh, you know, happened to notice that, you know, the husband, you know, was just sitting there in the pew. So uh, he goes up to him and he says, uh, you know, have you trusted Christ as Savior? And the man, you know, kind of like, you know, just bowed his head and he says, because I'm afraid I can't live it. And I suppose the man had the idea that in order to be saved, he had to uh, promise God that he would never sin again. Or he thought that uh, repenting was turning from sin. So the preacher presses the issue uh, with him, and he says, well, what do you mean you can't live it? He says, well, I know I'll probably sin again. So then the preacher uh, says to him, he says, sir, because of getting saved is promising Jesus you'll never sin again, then I would never get saved because I know I can't live a sinless life. Then he explains to him to be saved that one simply had to trust Jesus Christ. So he turns it to his, into his Bible to John 3.36 and he reads it. So him and the man are sitting down and he's pointing it out to him. It says, what does it say? So the preacher says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. So pointing to the verse, he asked asked the guy, he says, Does the verse say that he that believeth on the Son and lives it has everlasting life? The man replied, no. He said, uh, it says that the verse that he who believes on the Son has everlasting life. So the, the preacher, again, he, he's pressing this guy. So he asked him, he said, then one must believe on the Son and live it in order to be saved. Or must one simply believe on the Son, as the Bible says, to have everlasting life? Well, you know, the guy uh, turns around and he says, he goes, no, he goes, I suppose that we got to do what the Bible tells us to do, to believe on the Son. So the preacher turns around and he says to him, he said, well, then will you trust Jesus Christ right now as your Savior? And with a smile on his face, he answered, I certainly will. I think there are many that would uh, like to be saved, but uh, have been presented the faulty idea that repentance is, 
is turning from sin. And therefore, they're convinced that they cannot be saved. We need to make salvation plain and to explain to men that we are not saved by doing anything. Rather, we are saved by trusting in what Jesus has done. He died 2,000 years ago for our sins, fully paid our sin debt. And the Bible says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, don't misunderstand me. We don't want to be treat sin lightly. But then you can't demand of an unbeliever that which is impossible for him to perform. And we must not make unbelievers feel that salvation is a hopeless, unattainable thing. A second faulty idea is that repentance is sorrow for sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now, though godly sorrow may bring about repentance, it's not the same as repentance. We may be guilty of building Bible doctrines off our experience and rather than the Bible. We must remember that the Bible is the principle and not man's experience. We must, <clears throat> excuse me, how many well-meaning preachers uh, tell of their experience, and I'm sure you guys have heard them, you know, uh, when they describe their experience with salvation, their weeping and their sorrow and how miserable and low down they felt uh, before they were saved. You know, in, in, in so doing, they suggest to the unbeliever that he must feel a certain amount of sorrow before he can be saved. And if that's the case, how much sorrow must a man feel? How much must he weep? How much must he moan before God will save him? This kind of teaching suggests to us the false idea that God is basically unwilling to save sinners. And unless one softens the heart of God by his tears, then God will never accept him and grant forgiveness of sin. So what's the truth? The truth is that God is more willing and ready to save than we unbelievers are to simply trust him to do it. God has done and is doing everything he can to save men. 2,000 years ago, he placed all our sins on his son, Jesus Christ, and then punished him in our place to pay the debt that we owe so that when we die, we don't have to pay it. That's exactly what the Bible means in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And in the matter of salvation, no amount of weeping, sorrow, or sorrow will coax God into doing something that he's already done. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross in, in uh, John uh, 19.30, he cried, it is finished. That means the price for our salvation was paid in full. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. We don't need to weep, beg, or plead for God to do something that he's already done. What we do is we accept him. 
The problem is, is that uh, it's not that God is adamant and unapproachable, but that man will not respond. The great evangelist D.L. Moody insisted that the inquirer was not to seek sorrow, but the Savior. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his bloodshed is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And you notice that forgiveness of sins is through his blood. It's not the death of Christ plus sorrow. The death of Christ plus tears. The death of Christ plus mourning. Or even the death of Christ plus pleading. No. No. It's the death of Christ, period. The words of God make it, the word of God makes it clear that salvation is based entirely upon the death of Jesus Christ. And the believer's faith or trust in him. Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe, not believe and weep. Not believe and pray. Not believe and mourn. Not believe and feel sorry for your sins. But believe. Only believe. And I think that we know we're glad uh, when we see uh, someone troubled over his sins. But we've got to be careful in presenting the plan of salvation, not to insist that the person have a certain degree of sorrow before he can be saved. That is not repentance. And such a requirement is not found in the Bible. A third faulty idea about repentance is that it's reformation. Nearly all the religions of the world teach that a man must do or be something in order to be saved. Some say uh, you must join a particular church. I've heard that before. Or if you don't belong to their particular group, then you can't be saved. Others teach that you must be baptized in water, that the water actually washes away uh, sin. I've heard that before, too. Others teach that you must be baptized in a certain way and by a certain preacher. So others teach you must behave in a certain manner. They will often say, if you don't straighten up, you're going straight to hell. Others teach that you must make certain resolutions, certain promises in order to be saved. And if you don't live up to those resolutions, you're lost. Boy, if we can only understand the clear plan of salvation, it would surely clear up a lot of confusion. Salvation is a gift. And there's nothing you can do with a gift in order to earn it. All we do with a gift is receive it. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them who believe in his name. It was Dr. John Rice who used to, uh, used to say, if you go to hell, you pay your own way. But you go to heaven on a free pass. Man, you know that's right. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation's a gift. Reformation is good in its place. But when you make reformation, repentance, 
and a prerequisite for salvation, then it's wicked and evil. Salvation is of God, not of man. John 1.13, which says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The expression, not of blood, simply means that salvation is not inherited through the bloodline. No one is saved because his mother and father is a Christian. Nor the will of flesh, which means there's nothing the flesh can do to earn salvation, including reformation. Nor the will of man, which means nothing man can do to save himself. But of God, means nothing of man enters into salvation. And if that's true, then man's behavior, good or bad, has nothing to do with obtaining salvation. Titus 3.5 says, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And again, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's impossible to mix grace and works. Salvation is either grace or works. It can't be a combination of both. And you notice uh, in Romans 11.4, and I know you guys are familiar with this, and if it's by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Reformation as an instrument of salvation is absolutely futile. Reformation is an effort on the part of the individual to establish his own righteousness. And the Bible clearly teaches that we are not saved by our own righteousness, but by the imputed righteousness of God. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Excuse me, Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, if we could reform and establish our own righteousness, that wouldn't be sufficient. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best we can do is like a filthy rag in the sight of God, of a holy God. The only righteousness God accepts is his own, which is imputed to us, imputed to us the moment we trust him as Savior. What a blessed promise Romans 4, 5 is, a verse that should be memorized. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. 
And we sing in this chapel as well. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Repentance is not reformation. No one will ever go to hell who has put his trust in Jesus Christ. But many many is going to end up in torment who trusted their own righteousness and reformation. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name done many wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The people referred to in this verse are those who are trusting their own works, their own righteousness for salvation, when they ought to be uh, trusting Jesus Christ completely. The fourth faulty idea about repentance is that it's penance. Dr. Harry Ironside said, penance is not repentance. Penance is an effort in some way to atone for, wrong, for a wrong done. This man can never do, nor does God in his word lay it down as a condition for salvation. For one to seek to make up to either God or fellow for evil committed. On the contrary, the call was to repent. But between repentance and doing penance, there's a vast difference. Penance is a sacrament of the Roman Catholic Church involving uh, the confession of sin and submission to penalties imposed followed by absolution of the priest, by the priest. There is a penalty for sin. But God only has one such penalty and that's death. Ezekiel uh, 18.4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And again, Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. James chapter 1, verse uh, 15 says, Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God's penalty for sin is death. And this is described in, uh, in Revelation chapter 20, Uh, verse 14, as the lake of fire. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There is no amount of penance that will pay for our sins. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ paid for our sins 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter uh, 3.18 says, For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The word once, here doesn't mean uh, once upon a time, but once and for all. The payment for sin was made 
once for all 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter 2.24, whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. God imposed the penalty for our sins before Adam and Eve ever committed the first sin in the garden. In Genesis 2.17, he said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the penalty imposed by God before the fall was paid in full by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Praise the Lord. All that's left for us to do is accept what Jesus has done and trust Him completely for salvation. What must I do to be saved? Ask the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Next, I want to talk about the, about facts and repentance. Now, there's a vast difference between what men think that the Bible says about repentance and, actu- and what the Bible actually says about it. And here are a few facts about repent as it's found in its various forms in both the Old and New Testaments. The word repent is found 45 times in, in the King James Bible. Repentance 26 times. Repented 32 times. Repentance one time. And repentings one time. A total of 111 times in both the Old and New Testaments. The word in its various forms is found 46 times in the Old Testament, 65 times in the New Testament. Of the 46 times the word appears in the Old Testament, 28 times God does the repenting and not man. You got that? For instance, in Exodus 32:14 it says, "And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people." In addition to the 28 times that God repents in the Old Testament, there are nine other passages that tell of things about which God does not or did not repent. Only nine times in the Old Testament is man doing the repenting. Thirty-seven times it has reference to God repenting or telling us about things or telling us about things in which he did not or will not repent. And if repent means to turn from sin, we've got a problem. We have God turning from sin. And without a doubt, that's certainly inconsistent with Bible teaching. God is sinless and has no sin to turn from. But if repentance means a change of mind, then it's consistent. You have God changing his mind about some things, but you have at least nine other things in the Old Testament which God doesn't change his mind about. Now that makes sense. There are many things about which I would change my mind about, but there are some things about which I will not change my mind about. For instance, I... I won't repent or change my mind about the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. I won't repent or change my mind about the fact that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. I won't change my mind about the fact that salvation is by grace through faith. And there are other important matters about which I will not repent or change my mind. On the other hand, there are some things about which I would uh, repent or change my mind. I might have plans next week to do something, but before the time arrives, I might change my mind and decide to do something else. 
In fact, there might be some in this room that have the cleanest minds around. It's changed so often. A little humor there. I guess it didn't plan out. But uh, Now, if I can change my mind about some things and not others, God can certainly do the same. And sometimes in the Old Testament, the word carries with it the idea of feeling sorry and regretful. Sometimes where the word is used, one is uh, to repent from what is wrong toward what is right. And then there's other times when it speaks of repenting from what is right toward what is wrong. It's sometimes used in connection with sin, but the word itself doesn't mean turning from sin. It means a change of mind. Another time repentance in the Old Testament is related to one going back on his word. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Earlier I mentioned that repentance uh, in its various forms is found 65 times in the New Testament. Fifty-eight of those times, it's translated from the Greek words metanoia or metaoio. According to the Greek dictionary of New Testament words, metanoia is the noun of metanoio. Both words mean identically the same thing. The basic definition of the two words is to change one's mind. The definition from Strong's Concordance of Metanoio is to think differently or afterwards, that is, to reconsider. And in these two Greek words, there are, oh, in these two Greek words, it's always used to relate to salvation. No other Greek word translated repent or repentance is used in relation to salvation. The problem and confusion is not re- preaching repentance but attaching the wrong definition to the word. For instance, to say that repentance means to turn from sin, or to say that repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action, is to give the wrong definition to the word. And to teach that a man must turn from his sins to be saved, or to change his actions to be saved, is in contradiction to the clear teaching of the word of God. One is, that one is saved by grace through faith. Though you hear the expression, repent of your sins, it's not found in the Bible. What repentance or a change of mind is, is always determined by the context in which it's, you find it. For instance, in Acts 17.30, uh, in fact, turn there, if you will. In Acts 17.30 it says, For truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. What were they to repent or change their mind about? 
is found in verse 29 of that same chapter. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by man's art or man's devising. Here in verse 29, they needed to change their mind about uh, about God and see that he's not a graven image. He's not made of gold, silver, or stone, but that he's a living God that's going to be their judge in verse 31. Let's read that. Because he has appointed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained and has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. This is what they had to change their mind about. In Luke 13, 5, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And the, <clears throat> in the context of that verse uh, shows that they needed uh, to repent or change their mind regarding punishment and sin. In that passage, Christ was talking to good people who believed uh, that suffering, uh, that people suffered only because of their sins. And they concluded that those in Galilee, whose, whose blood Pilate mingled with sacrifices, and on those uh, whom the power of Siloam had fallen, were greater sinners because they died such horrible deaths. And Jesus contradicts uh, the thinking of these self-righteous people, and he tells them that they need to repent or change their mind and see themselves as sinner too, or they will perish in their own self-righteousness. One doesn't, you don't have to know the Greek language to see that repent in that, in that passage uh, doesn't mean to feel sorry, uh, feeling sorry or turning from sin. Now finally, and then... Uh, in this short section, then we'll close. Finally, I want to talk about faith and repentance. There are some people who believe that when you share the gospel, that you have to tell them they got to repent. They seem to think that if you tell them to trust Christ as Savior, it's not sufficient. And they are not alone in their thinking. Unless you use the word repent in presenting the plan of salvation, some preachers foolishly accuse you of easy-believism, easy which, by the way, is not in the Bible. When you ask somebody to believe in Jesus Christ, you're asking somebody to believe in someone they've never seen before. It's a story to them. You're asking them to put their trust in someone they've never seen. So don't, I, I, I hate when people tell me that easy believism. What is easy about believing? It's an impossible story that you're putting your trust in. You're going to bet your life on it. Anyway. Some preachers are foolishly accused you of preaching easy believism, and somehow they got the idea that just to preach, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved is not sufficient. In an article in The Sword of the Lord by Dr. John R. Rice, 
Uh, he says sometimes the preacher himself does not fully understand the plan of salvation. He thinks that salvation, he thinks of salvation as a process. First, there's a period of conviction, then a period of repentance, then an act of faith. And he goes on to explain that when one trusts Christ as Savior, he also repents. That's right on. Faith and repentance are the same. They're not two separate decisions. One cannot trust Christ as Savior without repenting or changing his mind. The fact that he trusts Jesus Christ for salvation shows that he has changed his mind regarding sin, salvation, and God. If one book of the Bible had to be considered the salvation book, it would be the book of John, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is printed and distributed more than any other book of the Bible. And the purpose of the book is given in John twenty thirty one. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. And according to that verse, it's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. In other words, it's written that men might be saved. Yet repent or repentance is not used one single time in the Gospel of John. On the other hand, believe is used more than 90 times in its 21 chapters. The book of Romans was written to show how men are justified. And after explaining in chapter 4 how men are not justified, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is only found two times in the book of Romans. And in only one case does it have reference to salvation. Romans 11.29 For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now if you make repentance to mean turning from sin, the verse would read, For the gifts and callings of God are without turning from sin. That doesn't make any sense. The verse simply means that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. When a man, when God calls a man to preach, he never changes his mind about it. They're gifts, right? They're meant to be used. Uh, while repentance is only found twice uh, in the book of Romans, faith is found 39 times. Romans 3.28 says, A man is justified by faith, uh, therefore, uh, excuse me, yeah, a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And since the word repent is not found in the Gospel of John, and repentance is only found twice in the book of Romans, and only one time is it used in connection with salvation, are we to conclude that repentance is... Ne uh, excuse me. Uh, are we then to conclude that repentance is not necessary to salvation? Absolutely not. It's already been shown that the importance of repentance and its necessity. Now, since repentance is not found in connection with salvation in the book of John, and only once in the book of Romans... Are we to conclude that neither of these two books tells one on how to be saved or justified? Certainly not. Those who know the Bible best 
would have to agree that these two books of the Bible contain the clearest presentation of the gospel and how one is to be saved. And since repentance is necessary to salvation, and since the word is not used at all in the Gospel of John, and only once referring to salvation in the book of Romans, then we must conclude that the word repentance is included in the words believe and faith, which are found repeatedly in those two books. John chapter 3 contains the heart of the gospel. It's there we find that wonderful verse, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Verse 9 of that same chapter, Nicodemus asked him, how can these things be? And Jesus gave him the answer in verses 14 through 16. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nowhere in that chapter does Jesus use the word repent. He only tells Nicodemus to believe in him. Verse 18, he said, and he points it out to him, he that believeth in him is not condemned because he hath believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And he closes the conversation in verse 36 of that same chapter by saying, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Believe in these verses doesn't uh, believe in these verses means that they trust or to depend upon, and nothing could be plainer. All one has to do to have everlasting life is to trust Jesus Christ. Jesus had already died for the sinner. All we need to do is depend on him to do it. That is, to save us. But he warns in verse 36, he that believeth not is condemned already. That is, he who doesn't depend upon the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There's no promise in the Bible to those who partially believe. The promise is to those who believe on him. We cannot trust Jesus Christ 90% of the time and something else 10% of the time. We must fully trust him. Him alone and nothing else. Since Jesus didn't use the word repent in telling Nicodemus how to be born again, then we must reach one of three conclusions. First, repentance is not necessary to salvation. Second, repentance is necessary to salvation, and Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus how to be saved. Or third, repentance is necessary to salvation. And it's included in the word believe, which Jesus used time and time again in this chapter. The correct conclusion, of course, 
is that uh, it's necessary to salvation and it is included in the word believe. A man cannot trust Christ without repenting. If you've never, tr- if anyone here has never trusted Christ as Savior, I, I, I would urge you to do so uh, today. Reason why I chose this message, and I will close, is because the word is used so wrong, so many times. By I've heard it on radio, TV, in this room. It's just. They're using the wrong definition to the word. Well-meaning people. That, you know. And so, uh, that's why I chose this particular message. Anyway, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much uh, for this time in your word. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, it would have been at least somewhat helpful or beneficial to the hearers here today. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to share it. In your precious name.